0: As we continue to grow the HSCT warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. Well, I'll just say welcome, Lydia. I Thank you. I really Thank appreciate you. you participating in the podcast.
1: I, I've been listening. Um, you know, I've been actually listening from the beginning. Oh, well, um, thank in you. fact, on my flight, I I, re, I was recently, I had to, I flew to Florida and my whole entire trip there and back as well in the car. Um, I listened to, I downloaded everybody's podcast and really interesting. um, I find it just really interesting because I think I have a completely different perspective.
0: (laughs) Yes, right? Because you have a different autoimmune disease. And
1: I know I am, I'm, I'm almost 18 years out.
0: Which is amazing.
1: So it's funny. You lose track. I mean, I kept in touch with Dr. Burt and the team, you know, I, every every birthday, you know, I email them and just say, you know, it's because of you guys, you know, I had of another year. But, you know, I I didn't follow the changes in the program. I didn't follow a whole lot. And so learning just every, you know, people who have just had the the transplant in the last three, four years, even to the most recent, you know, some of the last people to, to have with Dr. Burt, but then in other programs, I was clueless. All of that
0: was happening. And how different it has, has become.
1: Right. Very interesting because the the struggles that, that people have um, and the memory that they have of going through the transplant, I don't have because I was so incredibly sick. Wow. Um, I was palliative care. I was probably days from hospice.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So so the first Crohn's disease patient was was completed by Dr. Burt in August of 2001. Okay. And within that time the FDA or the IRB, I'm not sure, who is who is controlling um, the, a number of patients at that point, but he was, he was only allotted so many patients. Mm-hmm. And so the first one he had done, I think maybe they said, okay, do one, let's look at, but let, let's move slowly here.
0: Right. Well, well because then, at that point he was testing safety in humans, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, And especially in a new disease. So right. this is a brand new disease. You know, the end point was cure. Um, you know, I won't spoil the, I don't know if people are aware about the the Crohn's disease outcomes. Um, no, I why. don't think
0: we are. And that's why I'm so excited to talk with you <laughs> because you're the first patient we've interviewed that has gone through HSCT for Crohn's disease and maybe even the last patient because he changed his focus, right, to hone in on maximizing efficacy for MS.
1: I think because over the years, that was where... Um, I mean the IRB um and the safety for the for Crohn's disease patients, because the endpoint was a cure, and um the transplant doesn't cure. Right. It only brings it, it changes the, the course of the disease, it changes the the severity of the disease, but it doesn't cure. Right. So Crohn's disease patients status is remained constant. So let's say if you were as bad as I was 18 years ago an ethics committee would review your case and determine if you would if you would go on or not. Mm. I was an advocate for the program for a number of years meaning the the program would pair people up, you know, or or say, "Hey Lydia, you know, your follow-up appointment, can we Can we reschedule it? Because, you know, we have a patient coming in. We can't share the information, but we'd like the two of you to sit in the waiting room together. Interesting. And this is when... Dr Robert Craig was the gastroenterologist on the, the the GI side managing really more of the Crohn's disease and he's a very old school doctor and I, just a stitch I, I he he just brought so much humor to 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 my life even after the transplant <laughs> my follow up appointments with him were just entertaining he just was a very supportive practical, um, tell it like it is, but yeah, just so loving and nurturing.
0: Sounds like um, a of, good compliment to Dr. Burt.
1: Absolutely. I mean Dr. Burt, you know, he had you know, you meet him, the man hands you his cell phone number and you're looking at him going, Who are you? Right. <laughs> like, who does this? And um, you know, and, and I don't I I have moments that I remember of the transplant. I have pivotal moments. Um, um, I back then, HIPAA was just coming around, right? And so I knew the names of I think two of at least two of the patients who one the very first patient I spoke with, and I believe there was another patient that was just six months before me.
0: Were they also Crohn's disease?
1: Yes, everybody, um, all were Crohn's disease. So how did
0: you all even find Dr. Burt and the study?
1: So just to go back to a little bit about my disease history, I was diagnosed in 1996. I was in the middle of my undergrad and... Um, I was I had really great doctors from the start, so my diagnosis, unlike many people with inflammatory bowel disease, um, my diagnosis was very point on. I had very attentive doctors, um, and at this point I lived in Wisconsin, and I was going to Marshfield Clinic. I had a very good gastroenterologist, very good doctor. Um, he got me through undergrad. You know, I I had a number of surgeries through undergrad. I think I I totaled probably about twelve surgeries. Goodness! I think four per year, and I had amazing professors. I feel like I have all these angels in my life.
0: Mm, You do. (laughs) You do.
1: Who really saw that I wasn't, I wasn't faking it. Like I, in fact, one of my I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology, and one of my professors. Um, Dr. Dr. Perlman, just an amazing eccentric man who really invested a lot in my education, Um, a lot of independent studies. He taught me how to write. He taught me so much about abnormal psychology.
0: I love abnormal psychology classes and professors.
1: (laughs) Um, he, he fit the bill, let me tell you. And, and just an amazing, caring professor. He saw I was struggling one day, and he said, Lydia, come into my office. Let's talk. And he said, it was towards the end of, end of my um, schooling, I was going to graduate, and he said, Lydia, we did it. You did it. And he could really tell I just, I was struggling. I was struggling with the whys, how was I going to make it, fear, you name it. And I I knew in, in my gut, you know, no pun intended, right. I knew in my gut that my disease was bad and this wasn't going to be easy. I had that innate intuition. And he said, Lydia, if there's one thing I want to leave you with in your undergraduate education is that if I had half the amount of students with the gumption with the determination, and the tenacity to meet your goals he said my job would be so much easier mm. he said I look at everything that you have struggled with he said you took finals with a hundred and three degree fever oh my gosh on your way to Marshall Clinic to have surgery wow you know, I, they they would. I would talk to them, and I would say, "Listen, you know, I'm fistulizing again. I'm going to have to have surgery. Um, can I take my?" I would literally call them and say, "Can I just come in and take my exam?" Mm-hmm. Can I? Just... And sure enough, I, I had such flexibility. I would sit in the you know faculty lounge, and I would take my exam. You know, I, I ended up graduating. It's a whole other
0: level of dedication, right?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you want, if this is uh, too much information. No, not but... at all.
0: This, I mean, kudos <laughs> to you because that's amazing to accomplish when you're so sick.
1: I, I, at two years old, I decided it was time to you know not wear a diaper. I literally took my diaper off <laughs> and handed it to my mother and said, "I'm done with this." <laughs> that's the kind of self-determination i feel like i was just born with and so you know after after undergrad i moved to milwaukee started you know feeling out different um job prospects kind of lost i I will have to say I, i definitely was a little lost This was also back when I was threatened without health insurance. I mean, this is before health and, you know, this is before uh, the Affordable Care Act, way before that. And, um, you know, I had to worry about getting myself on health health insurance. It took me five years to graduate, five and a half, I think. So, I mean, I'm in my, you know, I'm close to my, I'm entering my mid-20s at this point. I did take a GRE. I did intend to go to grad school, but I needed to work for a little bit. I needed to to kind of find my footing. So I started at a psych hospital as a residential counselor. It was funny because one of the nurses that I worked with, again, another angel, she made a comment to me one day and she said, you know, Lydia, I really see you interested in the medical status of our patients. As a nurse, you know, she really, she was right. And I said, you're right, I am. And so based on that, I then went to work um, at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and, you know, this is foreshadowing a, a very good relationship with the Medical College of Wisconsin. Sure. And so I started as a staff assistant. I had no idea what I was qualified for, but, you know, what? It, it gave me great health insurance. Yeah. And at that point, I was transferred from Marshfield to a, a doctor at the Medical College of Wisconsin, who, again, Angel, mm. um, just an absolute he he we call him the Yoda of treating Crohn's disease right um so I went and started my care with him and it's funny you think it's all happening so slow but within a year um I perforated I obstructed my my, my intestines obstructed and perforated
0: <laughs> and that's terrifying
1: I had had Also, you know, these problems with these fistulas, Um, just surgery after surgery, they would get infected and surgeons would have to go in and construct things so that they wouldn't get infected. So at that point, they decided, the surgeon um, and the doctor, my team, decided to um, divert me. Meaning, um, give me a temporary ileostomy mm. to allow these fistulas to heal, to give my, to just give my system some rest. Yeah. Well, that opened a floodgate. Uh uh-uh. um, So I became um, intolerant and allergic to a drug called infliximab. That reaction sent my immune system into mm. overdrive. Yeah. And so thinking that this resection, this bowel resection and this ostomy would kind of give my system a chance to just calm down, you know, give those, give those, those inflammatory cytokines a chance to just relax. Well, not the case. Um, so I went through hospitalization after hospitalization um, of whenever I would eat, my body would, my intestine would perforate.
0: Mm. It doesn't matter what you ate probably. Nope. No. Oh my goodness.
1: So, um, it ended up that I, I lived in the hospital for a year. I I lived in a hospital in Milwaukee, um, for a year. I had to go on to, I was disabled, um, at this point, my doctor, um, this Yoda of Crohn's disease started to think outside the box. He said, I can't treat you like a textbook Crohn's disease patient. I'll kill you. And so we started a number of different medications. I probably exhausted 15 different medications um, and multiple surgeries. So my body rejected, you would call rejected the ileostomy, tried to heal it. Right. Right scarred over more perforations at one point i was i'm five foot nine and i was down to 107 pounds oh my gosh i probably in my lifetime had probably run 106 degree fevers on probably 13 to 14 occasions and i was still lucid um but very very sick septic oh my gosh um, and so Living in, I mean, to me, the hospital, probably for about three years, I just, it was always between hospital and home, hospital and oh home for a gosh. couple of days, back in the hospital for a few weeks, home for a couple of days, magnesium would drop to death-defying levels. Right. Like, I'll never forget a fellow, I went in for labs um, and a fellow called me later, could not get a hold of me. You know, my magnesium level was 0.9. What? And I mean, yeah, it was point Nine, and your normals—you know—lowest of your normals should be one point nine. And they were afraid that I was. They called the police to do to find me to do safety check.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Because you know, your heart stops and right. anything. Um. So at that point, we were talking about okay, we have to reverse this ileostomy. So I was hospitalized, and um, I had to go through another surgery, thinking. I was going to be closed. You know, I, I was going to be reconnected. Right. And um, the surgeon went in and couldn't. There was so much inflammation. Oh my gosh. He had to revise the ostomy. So I woke up with this ostomy and just utter confusion. And so they said, okay, we need to stabilize you. We, need your, we really need your gut to heal. So at this point, I'm being fed by intravenous. Um, it's called TPN. Um nothing by mouth. Mm. Um and hosp- you know, in and out of the hospital trying to stabilize me until finally they just said enough's enough. We're admitting you. This was probably August um of two thousand and one. We're we're admitting you NPO. That's the only thing that that will reduce the inflammation, and then we'll do the reversal. That's what happened. I was admitted on in August. It took lots of steroids, lots of, you know, lots of um, IV management to then in October, they went in and um, did the reconnection. Well, then I was told, you cannot eat. What? Yeah. And I was very angry. Um, this was the lowest point of my life. I bet. And I was very angry at my doctor. And I just said, you, you, "This is this. Why haven't I died
0: at right. this point? Well, yeah, and you're it, not even thirty at this point, right?
1: Right. My my life is oh my over. Gosh. I have absolutely no career. You know, I lay around all day. And now I can't even eat. So now you're taking away this social thing. You know, a patient's anger just gets transferred to their doctor
0: at this sure, point. Sure, but that's and devastating it, at such a young age.
1: Very." So I, w- I probably, you know, at this point I suffered, you know, severe mental health issues. Um, and you know, at this point I'm on, I'm on narcotics. I'm on Ativan all the time. Like I, I now realize I'm in palliative care.
0: <laughs> wow. This
1: isn't, this isn't about Lydia. There's something that can treat you.
0: Right. This and is about Lydia. Let's make you comfortable
1: but i don't think anyone really wanted to tell me that right until one time you know i had another great physician assistant on the team and he he be, he's, he became a very good friend of mine and and he sat down with me and he said lydia there's nothing more we can give you
0: mm. how did that and feel that... oh gosh
1: um i you know i think there was it was i think there was a part of me that somebody was finally being honest with me. Mm. You know, I think I was just, cause I kept looking, um, at my doctor and I'm saying, just tell me how sick I am, please. But you know what? He knew not to, <laughs> he knew during that, this whole time he had to engage my, my me cognitively, because I'm a mm. very intelligent person. I want to know what's going on. I So you know what he did? He would bring me research articles. He would send medical students my way to teach medical students how to give an exam. So I you know this is one thing I want to say about that hospital and my team that I was in. Um, and I'm still, I had a first year resident who I, he, he and I got along really well. I was kind of known as a, the difficult patient. <laughs> Because I had, I had standards that I expected my team to know me at this point. When I was admitted every other week, every other yeah, day. they should know I, you. So my doctor was able to say, okay, whatever, whatever on-call team, this resident, you know, I had the same nurses, same doctors. Nothing changed um, when I was uh, admitted and discharged each time.
0: Well, yeah. That's important for that consistency. And I, I was, <laughs> right. And I will say, um,
1: I feel like I, this resident learned a lot of, <laughs> a lot of his education came from me and I still talk to him to this day. Um, he's, you know, he's definitely a senior person at the hospital now. And, but I mean, you know, we really bonded that's during that fantastic. time. And, um, you know, I'm to the point where now I'm just, how do I fight? What do I do? And you know, this was kind of what I was sent home thinking. What What am I doing? What is my purpose here? Like, and and it was it was a tailspin. And and you know, interestingly enough, I still would get admitted every month. I still would my body would just kind of react. I would get defiant. I would eat. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know what? Why am I doing this? why don't i just end this Mm. you know just return to my normal life stop this artificial nutrition and you know then i got into you know ethics of is this even ethical (laughs) and you know it was a tailspin i don't know my memory isn't 100 percent um in how i came up with how i learned about the transplant um Mm. But I do want to say that at there was the spring of 2002 and my doctor, I was at an appointment and he brought it, we talked about it and he said, hey, there's a trial. I'm like, what is clinical research? What is a trial? Right. At this point, yeah. I had never qualified for any clinical research. I was way too sick right, um, for any drugs that were coming out. I think I, I did my own research, too. I, I discovered PubMed, and I started reading articles. Um, you know, I'd, I'd email my nurses and doctors and say, hey, I don't want to pay you know $40 for this article. Can you download it? Sure. <laughs> Send it to me. I think to some degree, I knew about the trial. Then when my doctor presented to me, it was scary. Because I mean, he and I at this point, um, were, we're pretty close. You know, I've gone through a lot and I trust him, you know, he's not necessarily trusting of me going outside of his care because you can't treat me like
0: a normal, a textbook Crohn's patient. Right.
1: And, you know, it was, it was a little emotional, you know, for me, it was like, I trust you. Like, how, how do we do this? How do I now go to another medical team who knows nothing about me? Are they going to believe that I've gone through all of this? You know, these were all of my concerns and fears, but I also knew that this was my only shot because my body was not doing well on TPN. Um, I had a history of pancreatitis, you know, my body didn't like artificial to some degree. It was, it was intermittent signs of organ failure. And so we knew I wasn't going to be sustained on TPN for very long just because of the way my body was reacting.
0: Sure. So the risk of HSCT didn't seem so scary.
1: Oh, no, (laughs) not at all. In fact, at one point, a family member said to me, you know, I didn't have a lot of family support in this. Um, I think that my family was concerned about that I was doing this just to die. I was taking the risk just to, you know, just be like, okay, fine let's just end this. Wow. And now, you know, mind you, not, not much is known about this. Right. Um, no evidence. I mean, the first patient had just been done had, you know, she was maybe when I started consulting, she wasn't even a year out. Mm -hmm. And so we not a lot of data. So I was a complicated case because when I ate my, all my labs turned back to normal. (laughs) <laughs> so everything normalized to me and I look like a normal patient but paper.
0: it would tear up your insides
1: when I ate Ugh. I you know I had called I, I think within two weeks because I'm, I'm just in Milwaukee so Milwaukee district sure. yeah. is, is an easy easy jump and I believe I consulted with Dr. Burt within two weeks of calling Wonderful. And, you know, I had great support on my Milwaukee medical team and the getting him everything he needed, meeting with him and, you know, Dr. Craig. I was, I was accepted into the trial fairly quickly um, because, it, again, it was patients, patients facing end of life. Mm. And so he did because my labs when he drew them were normalized because I wasn't eating he did he, he made a special request to the ethics committee and did go to present my case to the ethics committee at Northwestern and the ethics committee um, you know agreed that you know that was I, I was a, I was a viable candidate mm. this was in May of the year um, of 2002 and and forgive me of my dates um, get a little convoluted because it's really, it's really hard to remember the the sequence of everything well, and years would when they happened. Yeah, and I had to, have
0: to imagine that just your mental state at the time was not, not. healthiest. <laughs> I mean, with not everything so. going on, I just I it's so hard to imagine. I really appreciate you trying to put words to it all.
1: <laughs> so I thought that my insurance through the Medical College of Wisconsin would be really quick to approve it because I'll back up just a little bit. There was a time, maybe a a blink of an eye, when the transplant was gonna be opened up at the Medical College of Wisconsin in addition to Northwestern. I don't know any details around that and maybe that's how my doctor knew about it. Maybe. Because I did know the transplant doctor um, at the Medical College of Wisconsin, who was going to be the PI there. And so I thought, well, and then I believe like the either the FDA said, nope, one, a single center. I mean, we're just going to do a single center at this point. I thought, well, the Medical College of Wisconsin, the insurance is going to cover this because they were going to do, in order to do this, the trial there that has to be done at Northwestern. And I went through a, a just turmoil rejection after rejection.
0: I feel you there.
1: To to the point where I went to the headquarters, Dr. Bird called in and I sat around a table of 18 individuals and I looked at them and I said, you all are giving me a death sentence. I'm sure I looked like horrible. And, you know, Dr. Burt was on the other end. You know, also he was interjecting and he, I mean, he brought me to tears. He said said such amazing things about me. You know, you're just, you're, I, I was just blown away by how he described me and how he's, you know, basically said, this is, we can save this girl. Wow. And then I looked around him and I, I said, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to hug your your children tightly. Seriously. Because I am your child, and your child could be sitting here. And that, I basically yeah. begged and pleaded yeah. for my life, and um, they, they rejected me. They gave serious? me the final denial. And now I'm, an, I'm also going to preface this with my health status continues to decline. I'm no longer hungry I didn't even care about eating. I'm glad I didn't have to eat. My liver enzymes—I'm
0: mm. out through are the roof. Jumping. I'm sure, yeah.
1: My—I'm um, still hospitalized, you know, every other week for pancreatitis at this point. Um, and then, I had a secondary insurance company, and now this is where this blows your mind with our healthcare <sighs> oh <laughs> the way to set up. It costs about three hundred thousand dollars a year. To have someone on on TPN, and that's not hospitalization cost. That is flat out the costs of the lab nutrition. draws, mm-hmm. monitoring, nutrition. Wow! And so the secondary insurance looked at me and said, "She's going to bankrupt us." Right. So then I then I petitioned my secondary insurance for the transplant. Now get this, it's because my secondary insurance was underwritten and not, what is the other term, Um, Mm self-funded, they're underwritten and not self-funded, they have an insurance company that then takes the catastrophic cases. And guess what is considered a catastrophic event? Mm. Stem cell transplant.
0: Stem cell transplant.
1: So I was approved In three weeks.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: For the stem cell transplant, because I was going to basically bankrupt the small secondary insurance. Yeah. And so now I transferred to their insurance. And that is how I got approved for the transplant.
0: Amazing.
1: So this happened between May and then September
0: ridiculous so that it takes 6 months right to and fight in your life
1: exactly and i'm declining Right, i mean th- th- of 5 months is is a lot of time and so now i had to undergo what was very hard um tests i don't know how many tests you had to go through and others but i had to go through 2 weeks oh wow of testing.
0: Yeah. No, they shortened it to about two days.
1: Well, maybe I, someone could correct me. <laughs> it was two days. Um, but I remember it was just, um, it, I I barely survived the testing. Wow. And there, I was afraid. In fact, one of, I think it was the pulmonary function. They were yelling at me. Mm. I, I felt like they were yelling at me because be like, you got to give us more. You got to give that us more. That is
0: such a hard test.
1: I'm like, and I'm, I walked out of there in tears. I think I called Kate and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. I'm not, you know, and, and Kate, I think has been amazing for all of us throughout the years yes. and just knew what to say. just calmed me. Unfortunately, my family just dropped me off.
0: Oh my gosh. And I,
1: and I stayed overnight. I was supposed to catch a shuttle in the morning. I, I didn't want to be alone. And I'm like, I don't know where to go. This is I, I can barely even walk. Yeah. How am I gonna do this? Right. Um it's you know, it was against what I wanted, but at four in the morning I started vomiting. Just I haven't eaten. And I've no idea what I was vomiting. I was so incredibly sick. Mm. And I somehow I mean, this is before the world of cell phones i I was on the floor, like I was passed out on the floor, and I remember the I remember seeing Kate open the door. Oh somehow gosh. she found me somehow. I don't know how she found me. Um, I think I had been talking to my family and they were trying to get down there. Um, but I just remember Kate showing up at the door, and somehow she got me into mm. the doctor's office. Wow. And I was, I was upset. I, I was just, I thought I was dying. Yeah. I'm like, this is it. And you know, she reassured me. She's like, "Well, we'll take care of your testing schedule. Don't worry. We want, we just are glad you're okay." And it wasn't until like two, probably two in the afternoon that I had a family member then join me. And so that was very scary for me.
0: Talk about because, isolation. Oh my gosh.
1: Yes. Um, but again, you know, I'm used to my team being there, you know, again, my, my, I've been so blessed with these amazing medical teams and, you know, I attribute to those teams to who I am today and for my passions that I have today for my, my job, for what I went into, they all taught me to do what I'm doing today. And so, um, I, I, made it through the testing. I passed, um, they told me to go home, rest, um, came down for mobilization. Um, and I had some good friends at this point. Good friends at this point are realizing, you know, I needed more support than I was getting. And sure. so I had all of these people stepping in and coming with me and paying Thank for goodness. hotels. Thank yeah. Goodness. And again, you know, I, I told you, it shows you angels, um, just absolute angels. I remember the mobilization. I remember the jugular. Um, I have this. Oh my gosh, so yeah. Petrified of that jug placement. <laughs> I'm like, just give me drugs. <laughs> just put me out. And I remember waking up, and it was so uncomfortable. And I was out of it when they were doing the harvest. Um, I I think I slept through the entire thing, and I believe. I think a, Dr. Burp poked his head in and he's like, you're doing a great job. You're giving us, <laughs> he's like, we have so many cells of yours and just really encouraging me. But again, I I slept, I probably slept the entire day, so wow. I don't even remember it. And then, you know, they said, go home for two weeks, um, rest up and we'll see you the day before Thanksgiving. That was my admission day. Wow. I just, I was sitting in a wheelchair in, in the lobby, just shaking. I just, I remember people coming up to me saying, you know, do you need more blankets? Like, what, what can we do for you? And I think I was just, I was mentally scared. So, I mean, they started chemo right away. Um, You know, they don't waste time. No, they don't. (laughs) You know, Thanksgiving Day was you know about chemo. It didn't matter. I hadn't eaten in years at that point, and I would have to say that everybody was very surprised. They're like, "You handle eating not very well," and I said, well, "I've been doing it for three years. Right. Like, <laughs> eating scares me at this point." And so, I had a lot of complications. Once my white count was was um, was decreasing, I, I hemorrhaged in every in my nose everywhere. Oh my but, gosh. And so I required a lot of platelets, a lot of blood transfusions. Um, But then I remember putting my nose down and just my white sheets became red very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I remember my nurses being great. I never once felt I couldn't call them. They were kind of hip young girls. Mm -hmm. And I think I, you know, young men and women that I felt nor I was like, oh, I can live vicariously through you. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with one of them. Asked, and I point blank asked her, I said, you know, we're the same age. Because at this point, I'm 20, I think I'm 27 mm-hmm. at, during her transplant. And I said, this must be hard for you treating someone who's your exact same age. And, you know, we, we talked about the psychology of treating, you know, of being a nurse and, you know, got into that intellectualizing. Again. Sure. Then I remember, um, my day of transplant. I remember a whole team walks in. So I, four in the morning, um, the, the day of my, my, my counselor come back. They said, okay, tomorrow's the day we're going to drop early in the morning, but you know, we're, you're probably going to be infused tomorrow. So I remember at four in the morning, that morning I woke up with 106.5 fever. Yikes. And so my, my memories could be a little lucid here. I'll preface this story with that. But I remember waking up. Um, I don't know when they when they found out. I don't know when they determined that I was running that high of a fever, I have no idea if it's just on their vitals check or if I said, I just feel really awful. And um, I don't know the timing, but I just, I was a little in and out. I was very, I was losing consciousness, I think. Um, But I remember a whole team scurrying around. And then I remember a time when I, I no longer felt pain. I knew I could feel the energy that was happening in the room. I could hear what people were talking about. I could hear the nurses coming in and out, but I couldn't feel anything anymore. And, you know, I remember, you know, the doc, Dr. Burke came in, I think he probably it was probably really early, five, six a.m. And, you know, he's just like, dear, you know, we can't give you. The cells. Cause I, I, must've been, you know, muttering, can I get the transplant? You know, I must've been really stressed out about that. Sure. Um, and he, they, I, I remember being told, you know, you'll, the, the, the cells will, will burn. You're too hot. You're too warm. And, um, you know, I just remember being kind of periods of just not really being able to feel anything, but being able to hear everything that was going on to, um, having you know being able to somewhat have these muttered conversations. And then I remember um they put me in a cooling blanket oh. or a cooling pad mm. and I've never felt pain than I felt being on that cooling pad.
0: So interesting.
1: I I mean I think I probably screamed and you know you're you're very violent, you know when this is happening. Um, you're, 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 just not in your mind, right? Your, no. your, your body is, your body's dying. Um, and you're going through all of these, you know, your, your adrenaline rushes, whatever adrenaline is left in your body, you're trying to fight. And so I was very, I, I believe I was pretty combative and I was trying to get off this cooling blanket and, and, you know, Dr. then came back and I remember him being very involved in this day and him being like, you know, Lydia, just listen to my voice, just stay with me mm. stay with me and um you know there was a point where they got my temperature down i don't know how they did it but at around 103 that is when you start becoming like vocally angry mm. so i guess having fevers this such high fevers for so many times i understood the stages sure <laughs> and so i got very angry at the doctor. There was another doctor in the room and I just looked at him and I said, It's your responsibility to get <laughs> to make this fever grow away. It's your responsibility to make my body okay to
0: receive these cells. (laughs) Yeah, because at that point, you're really invested in the positive outcome fighting for your life, literally. You're
1: you're literally fighting. And, you know, now I'm in healthcare on the other end. Like, I get it. But I think at the time, I really felt bad after all of this. Sure. And hopefully they understand
0: it's the fever.
1: (laughs) I don't think that they ever, (laughs) I think they were more scared for me than really took You know took to heart what i was saying absolutely and um it was at around 10 a.m i think i want to say a nurse named mary walked in with this huge syringe and i I looked at her and i said is that it (laughs) i was was like wait a minute we've come so far for a like a huge syringe what and you know I, i think i had probably two pick lines a hickman i had lines coming out of me everywhere I remember her, I remember it starting to go in and the taste in my mouth. Yes. I said, oh, stop. Well, especially someone
0: who hadn't eaten for so long.
1: Yeah, to to have any sort of taste in your mouth was, and somebody gave me, somebody had gum in their pocket and said, here, chew this. (laughs) I enjoyed my, my stem cell infusion to like a a stick of, you know, Wrigley's spearmint gum. (laughs)
0: I enjoyed and it I, said, I think I enjoyed an orange popsicle
1: Okay yeah And, and I said oh Because I don't think I even could Chew, chew gum at that point point. Mm. And I was like oh wow Because taste just came back Like it is wow
0: Overwhelming I, so, I bet
1: Yeah but it was, it was, it was very welcome <laughs> Compared to that taste That, that whatever that is gives and It's you. like
0: creamed corn Yeah It's, it, it's, it's just awful
1: I would say cream corn was some just disgusting ingredients. Yeah, horrendous. And, you know, after that, I don't remember a whole lot. I had a few very lucid moments. I, I had a few hallucinations inpatient. Um, for some reason, I didn't think I could go to the bathroom. I thought that if I urinated, it would go into my IV. Mm. Um, and I was convinced I was just convinced. I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't go to the bathroom. It's going to it's going to, do, to, make my IV toxic. I don't know if you ever remember hallucinations, but for some reason I did. And I remember coming out of it. And all of a sudden, I remember thinking to myself, Lydia, what are you, what are you talking about? Because I, I had fluid retention. <laughs> and so there was a huge concern that I, my fear of urination was, you know, due to the toxicity, due to this food retention, like what was happening. You know, I remember the nurse coming in, you know, and I remember coming to and being like, oh, okay, wow, this is bad. I need to use the bathroom. <laughs> and I remember, I never thought myself to be that patient. I was always the caroler. I never considered myself to be a sick patient. Mm. Interestingly enough, and I remember carolers coming to my door and they could come in because, I mean, at this point I was, you know, no one can come in. And I'm like, wow, wait a minute. I'm that patient. Whoa. They're caroling to me. And and that was a a moment of realization. And you would think, really, that was your moment of realization? But it took carolers coming to to carol to me to make me understand that I was that patient. Mm. I was that sick patient. And then the last moment of uh, memory that I have, I remember walking into the bathroom, you know, with the 20 IV poles that it feels like you have. <laughs> and I remember looking in the mirror and I had, because I had to have TPN, because I couldn't have anything by mouth, um, I looked like a football player. I'm used to see. I haven't really looked at myself in the mirror you know, for quite some time when I was inpatient. I think I was one of the longest inpatient. In, in the, the last paper in 2010, I think I, I had to stay in the longest, I think 17 days mm. because of some of the, these complications. And, and I had to eat again. And I remember looking at the mirror laughing, thinking, is that me? Because I probably was 110 pounds And I think I was weighing in at 170.
0: Yeah. All the swelling from the fluids and the steroids and yeah. Yeah.
1: And I just, I had no neck and (laughs) a family member was there when when this happened. And I'm like, you have, I said, I have no neck. (laughs) (laughs) And it was kind of this moment of, I I was able to laugh at it. And um, I think it was soon after that where they said, okay, we need to stop antibiotics because I still ran fevers after the transplant. And then they, sure. that's when I learned about sometimes antibiotics cause fevers. And they said, you know, we need to make or take a risky decision here and take you off the antibiotics. And I remember, you know, making that decision and saying, OK, um, all right. You know, we have to do it. My, my kidneys cannot, you know, I know my body can't withhold this much fluid. And they started prioritizing the IVs that I needed, and they said, okay, we are discontinuing TPN. And um, a bone marrow transplant unit doesn't know how to refeed a patient <laughs> in three years. And I do remember my, my first plate of food was a full chicken dinner. <laughs> I think they had to give me Xanax. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I, I don't know what this is. I can't do this. This is going to make me sick. You don't realize, like, I can't eat. This will, you know, it's too soon to figure out if the transplant has worked. (laughs) I'm not willing to try this at this point. So I think, you know, they were able to negotiate um, bites. You know, I think they took the plate away and gave me, like, started to refeed me like you would um, a child, a baby. My goodness. And broke everything up into very small bites. I didn't sure. eat the silverware. I ate with my hands, you know, kind of went you know back to learning to eat um, as a baby does. Yeah. I, I, I was able to eat. Um, yeah. So how did your but, body react? You know, I don't really remember um, in the hospital. I don't think I ate that much. You know, I, I just, they couldn't really understand your weight at that point either, you know, cause your had I had so much fluid retention. Sure. Um, that, I don't think really anybody could really monitor the weight. You know, I have Crohn's disease. I have a complicated relationship with food. If I'm not comfortable in a situation, I, I can fast. It's not a problem. Sure. And I think I just looked at it as that. Um, I had bigger fish to fry. Yeah, no at this joke. Point. <laughs> no pun intended. And so I do remember then going home and trying to eat. And, you know, back in Milwaukee, I'm you know, I'm at home and I just said, um, Put me back on tpn i i i i cannot sustain my weight um this is this is too hard and um i went to see my doctor about a week after transplant and i really really struggled when i got home i was extremely weak on top of you know all of a sudden i was responsible for my, all my own hydration substance you know um so my doctor said come and i just i couldn't even walk I was shaking. I was so anxious. The anxiety Mm -hmm. was overwhelming. Um, and then it was one visit with that doctor. And I said, okay, he has this saying, you know, never, never, never give up. He's, He's a Winston Churchill, you know, never, never, never give up. And, you know, I said to him, I, I, I shouldn't have done this. You know, this is too scary for me. I don't, I'm, I, I'm supposed to die. Like I was preparing myself to die psychologically. Like now I survived this transplant, which was a huge feat. Now what do I do? Who am I? Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to eat. And here I am. I'm 27 year old. All my friends are getting married, having children. I have no social circle. I don't even know what to talk to people about. You know, like who can relate? No one. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, he he looked at me and he very sternly said, you have been given a second chance. Mm. What are you going to do with it? And I I have high respect for this, this individual. And, um, you know, he's at this point a mentor to me. You know, I'm looking to him really as a mentor. Sure. And I said, you know, I told him, I said, well, that was kind of harsh, don't you think? And he's just said, Lydia, I know what you're capable of. He said, I know what you're capable of, and you have a lot to give this world, and you have a lot to
0: offer. Hmm. Thank goodness for that man.
1: And I went home a little bit different because I told him, I said, can you please put me back on TPN? He said, I will not. I will not put you back on TPN. I mean, tough love. I mean.
0: (laughs) Sure, but ultimately, yeah, your body needed to relearn how to eat. right?
1: And, you know, we we discovered, because then I, I saw him weekly. You know, I followed up with Bert, Dr. Bird's team and Dr. Craig, and um, I was being monitored. I was probably being seen three times a week, you know, with, with doctors. Um, I would go see my physician assistant because I think my, my Milwaukee team really wanted to monitor me, um, make sure if I needed to be admitted, you know, they, it would just be an easy admit. You know, they were very invested in the out, you know, in the, the trial as well, which was great and worked very well with Dr. Burt. And um, then I got a hang the hang of eating. Um, and then I still, you know, I'm still having what was called short gut. And I, I, I called my doctor and I'm like, you know what, I, I still, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of the grocery store and I have to run to a bathroom. This is just like having, this is just, should I be eating? Should I, like, which, what's going on with me? And he said, oh, you know, and he explained why it was happening because you've had surgery here. You know, this is, you know, this is the part of the intestine that, you know, you had your IC valve taken out. And He started to explain all of this. He said, I'm going to prescribe this powder to you. It's my, and I call it magic powder. I emailed him two days later and I literally, the subject line was magic powder <laughs> and it was a bile binder. And sure enough, once you, when you've had all these surgeries, you know, all these bowel resections and certain sections of, of your intestine taken out, you need help controlling bile. Sure. I began to eat normally that I I could go out in public. I, you know, I felt normal
0: life changing
1: for a little bit. I mean, I guess normal, the most normal I had felt in, in, you know, years. Sure. And, um, so then I, I, I Put my head to good use, and I say, "Okay, what am I going to do with myself?" And <laughs> lo and behold, I signed myself up for anatomy and physiology. Starting that June, I was five months out of transplant, and here I am wow. in a co- in a college course taking uh, anatomy and physiology. Accelerated.
0: Well, you'd learned so much already, right? <laughs> and my doctor, you know, looked at me and was like, Lydia,
1: you always do things like full throttle. Can we work together here? <laughs> and I said, well, let me have this. You know, what, am, what else am I going to do?
0: Yeah, well, you else do you I have something to do with my of, time. Yeah, put your attention to.
1: And then, um, sure enough, um, I started to learn, you know, I have a level of brain damage from all of the fevers. And interestingly enough, my instructor um, in my anatomy physiology course, I was taking notes and I was coloring them and I was drawing and this and that to the point where when I took the exams, because they were all essay, like, you know, map the pathway of the blood flow in the heart. Mm -hmm. I literally would draw it and then I'd write it out. And to the point it was verbatim to the notes. And he actually thought I was cheating. Oh, wow. But then he looked at me. I don't have hair. You know, this is only five months. Right, right. I maybe have some peach fuzz somewhere. And he took me aside and he said, I need to know your story because you're doing, this is what I'm seeing on paper. And I've never seen this. And I'm looking at you and you have a story. What's going on? How do you know this stuff?
0: Good for him
1: you know, I don't want to accuse you of cheating, but I'm concerned. And I showed him my notes and I said, no, I just, if I color them, I, when I'm taking the exam, I look, I see them not looking at them. I just can see them. And I just replicate what I've seen. And then he said, and then he, he, you know, he asked me what I had gone through physically. And I told him, and, you know, I, I told him about you know, I had taken intelligence test. I have a you know bachelor's in psychology. We take plenty of them, testing each other. Right. Uh, and he said, you know, would you mind? Would you sit? He's a high school teacher, adjunct professor for this local university, and so he's you know he acts more like a high school teacher. Do you want? Will you take an IQ test? And I did, and my the, the points. I mean, I went from average to like a one twenty five. Hmm. And so he's the one that helped me understand like, okay, like your brain is trying to recover, but it's actually helped you. Right, but I'm then I've right. also, I also have um, amnesia. I also have um, bits of my life when I, when I came out of all of this, um, I couldn't remember high school. Like, I'd be like, well, yeah, of course I went to high school. And of course, do I remember a prom? Do I wow. And all of a sudden I started to try to recall these memories and I could remember maybe flashes, but I couldn't remember events. And, you know, all of a sudden you're going, you know, I have memory issues. And so this is probably my brain's way of, you know, the brain always tries to fix itself. So this is probably, you know, the superpower of the brain saying, okay, I'm deficient here, but let's, let's help her with a photographic memory mm. here. Anyways, I I did A&P one and two in eight weeks, Um, you know, aced it, came out with an absolute, you know, to me, I was like, hey, game on. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and then I went and took a microbiology class, stupid me, um, not really understanding microbiology. I took this nine months out of transplant and I went to talk to the professor and I said, listen, and I said, I've been through, you know, this, I've kind of explained it to him. I said, is this class safe for me to take? And he said, absolutely, you know, I know this, I'll be able to control things for you. And we were given a pet. We had to grow and we had to identify by the end of the semester. So, you know, I'm, I'm trusting this, this instructor knows what he's doing. Well, by the end of the semester, I realized I was growing Pseudomonas.
0: What is Pseudomonas? (laughs)
1: Pseudomonas is a highly contagious microorganism. Oh my goodness. That you would never serve up to someone who is nine months out of a transplant. No, I I kind of scratched my head and I I said, "Wow, well, congratulations, Lydia. You have wonderful aseptic technique <laughs> because you did not contaminate yourself, nor did did you contaminate you know anything around you." Wow. Wow. <laughs> Um, I kind of laugh at that. It's kind of a dark humor, but you know, and at this point, you know, I'm still on social security, but I, I, you can tell I'm getting itchy. Sure. But now, now my team, my whole medical team, Chicago, Milwaukee are like, Whoa, Lydia, just, we want you to be excited about life, but we don't know what we don't know what the transplant is going to do. Right. We don't know how much time you have.
0: Yeah. And this is testing safety and we need you to be safe. Right.
1: You know, I, my first year at had a transplant very smooth. My second and third year, um, that's when the fungal infections came. That's when shingles came. Um, that's when a variety of, um, you know, cause your, your immune system is being challenged again, right. To, to build itself to, and, um, so I, I had a rough, year two and three, just with these these little you know, idiosyncrasies of, of having um, a transplant. So then by 2005, two and a half years, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go back to work. I'm ready to get on with my life. Well, my doctor in, in Milwaukee put the brakes on because I'm, mind you, also in nursing school. And he said, whoa, you're, you're going to school, wait a minute. You got to choose. You're going to go to school. Or you're going to go to work. I can't have you doing both. And I just, I said, come on, you told me to make something with my life. He said, this is your second chance. What are you going to do with it? I don't know how much time I have. This is what I'm doing with it. Okay. So he actually had just gotten some funding and he said, come work for me. Come work as as a research assistant. I want to keep my eye on you.
0: Yeah, that's helpful.
1: I've taught you so much throughout the years um, about Crohn's disease, about immunology, about clinic, about how to treat patients. And he put me to good use. And in two years that I worked with him, we put out 18 abstracts. We put out all of this research that he still is to this day. It it launched his, where he's at today.
0: That's awesome.
1: And I got to work with all of these residents, fellows. Um, I created a, a database I went through chart after chart after chart, and I created this clinical database that we extracted information from more outcomes. So we were doing health outcomes back then. Awesome. And trying out, you know, multidisciplinary teams in in the clinic. Well, then, as you as you can imagine, like this launched a career in research for me. Sure. I needed to make sense of what I'd been through. Oh yeah. Cause I still, if I don't, if I don't give back to this community and if I don't take what I've learned and do something with it, you know, that the, ha- going through so much in my life is really hard to comprehend.
0: It is. It's hard to process.
1: And so I dropped nursing school. Um, and I had decided to pursue a master's in clinical research and then I was five years out of the out of transplant. I went and had my last appointment, and literally, within month, within a couple months, moved from Wisconsin to New York, and said, "This is where I've always wanted to live." Mm. And it started my life, and um, started the ups and the downs, the hard knocks of you know learning how to be a thirty-some year old sure. in a you know. 20 some year old mindset.
0: Right. Because you didn't experience your 20s other than being in the hospital.
1: Right. And then, you know, basically launching my career, finishing my master's going from, you know, working at Memorial Sloan Kettering and clinical research to the Department of Defense, you know, working, you know, on some really highly sensitive research down there to um, starting and operationalizing multiple research programs for people and then um ultimately now i'm doing my doctorate in health science to um a, to now you know remember when i said i was sitting at that table with the impayer, with the insurance company yes. and that has still driven me today to challenge payers and it's, it's time for payers to stop dictating our care. So now I'm a part of a massive community on Twitter, a lot of GI doctors who policy policymakers, you know, policy influencers who are, are going after the insurance companies. Thank goodness. Um, and with step therapy, you know, this whole step therapy initiative, you know, if people are in, you know, exhaust one drug, just to get to a drug that that works for them is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And now that is driving, you know, my doctorate to and, and as well as, you know, pretty much pretty soon the, the insurance payers are going to um, dictate value based care. We're, we're just a few years away from them completely changing the model. And hospitals are going to be um, really they're going to have a hard time meeting that because they're not currently not a lot of hospitals are doing evidence based outcome research right. to drive their care. And um, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in, in Medicare going more value based. And so that is now driving well, ultimately what I want to do my doctorate in and, um, you know, making, making care better for patients, but also being one step ahead of the, the payers and saying, okay, you want this research, here it is. You know, this is value, this is our value based research. So we get our, you know, maximum benefit, you know, for, for reimbursement. And I guess that's like wrapping it up in a bow for me mm. of, you know, someday I will be doing, I will be giving a, a, a talk on, on my story, you know, and I should also preface this. I've never publicly spoken about mm. my, my story. Thank you this for is, sharing it here. Um, This is a first and I hope to one day be on a platform where I can work side by side with payers, not be against them, but let's right. work side by side. Yes, um, because
0: if they are going to have so much control over the quality of care that patients receive, mm-hmm. then they need to be informed by the people who have lived well, it.
1: Well, they they need to be on like doctors twenty four seven. They can't leave a pay- when they're when we need a prior off they on a Saturday, they can't wait until next business day. That then then payers should be held to medical malpractice. Right. You know, I, there's a, a policy influencer, Chicago, a GI policy influencer. And, you know, he's always like, yes, <laughs> that's exactly it. Um, so yeah, you know, I find my passion and wanting to help other patients, you know, navigate the the insurance system, knowing what to say, how to say it, knowing, you know, what metrics to throw at
0: them. Well, and look for an underwritten policy. <laughs> I mean, my struggles were with a self funded policy.
1: See, I did you get it? Did you end up getting it paid for
0: well, let's just say that it was all resolved through litigation <laughs> and it's a shame that we have to go to those ends, right? That, yeah, that it took over two years to fight, right. to get covered. I mean, my parents sold their house so that we oh could my afford gosh. to put up the money to pay out of pocket. I had to borrow money from family. Uh, you know, like oh my, my husband's uncle helped us out. Like I shouldn't have to Go to those extremes in order to save my life. You should not have to sit at a table among 18 decision makers who pretend yeah. to listen only to turn you away when you're fighting for your life. That's the last thing you need to be doing or worried about.
1: Well, do you know what the, what the t- statistics would say about how many people in their family or they themselves would be sitting at that table, you know, at some point in their life? You know, it, it, to me, it was just, you know, we're all human here, right? Like, right. Let's not make healthcare, you know, this, you have to be at a certain status to attain it. If anything, if I can bring, you know, inspiration to people to just keep fighting, um, those dreams keep fighting for them. Mm. they they may not, you know, my life definitely did not go the way I envisioned it at, you know, five years old, six years old. No. <laughs> um, but I can sure I can sure tell you that my dreams haven't changed.
0: Well, amazing and that you have a second chance at life to follow them.
1: You're right. Not everybody gets that second chance. You know, to me I owe it. That that's my responsibility, you know, to um to my to fellow patients, to future patients, is to do something with this. You know, to 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 take my life and to give back. Um, and inspire people to do the same, you know, if any, if that's my life mission, that's what it is.
0: That's a beautiful one. So why was it important for you to share your story and participate in the podcast?
1: Um, Oh, such an interesting question. <laughs> um, I can tell you in the, in just 2020 alone, I have probably been told 20 to 30 times that I should be writing a memoir. hmm And I I just look at people and why would you want to hear from me? (laughs) Like, I don't, there are so many, everybody has a story and this is what I say back. You have a story, you have a story, you could write a memoir too. But then I think one person said something to me that really, it's those moments when people say just the right thing at just the right moment. And this one said to me is, is, you want to inspire people, right? You you have a story of survival of inspiration. Why would you not want to share that? Mm. And, you know, it's not as if I, I've been keeping it a secret. I mean, I will say, you know, it's not, I was known as a sick person all my life. And I think that there was just an innate, I don't want to be just known for being sick. Right. You know, you know, I'm 15, 20 years into my career and now I I feel like I'm known, I'm respected for not just being the patient. Right. And now I feel like, you know, I'm proud of what I survived. I'm, you know, sometimes it's astonishing to say that was me. Sometimes it's it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to think about because you can, you can get stuck. And I think just knowing psychology and knowing um, what it takes for survivors to move on. Yes. Um, sometimes telling your story, you know, so soon, I I know my tendencies would have made me maybe stay there. And so celebrating my success, I think it's the right time Mm. where it won't be detrimental to me, where I won't get hung up in, oh, wow, really? That happened to me and it'll cause this major depression. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think I'm far enough removed because that was very important in moving on is i I had to acknowledge it, but I couldn't stay there right. It was an extremely you know coming back from that was it, it was I, I mean I, I'm sure I don't have to tell you how hard it is.
0: And I didn't have complications. (laughs) I mean, it it still feels like a near death experience, right? And so it's such an interesting place to be and to revisit. And you do, you have to be very careful about building capacity to revisit without diving in, right? Just
1: exactly. Just holding the
0: space to notice and remember and acknowledge and honor your own strength. Right. And then kind of wrap that up neatly and hold on to it to move on in the reality of every day that doesn't even acknowledge the fact that we were once there.
1: Right. And I, I have met with, you know, many psychologists in my, you know, in my recovery. Um, And, you know, one, one psychologist put it perfectly and beautifully, you know, because when you're facing your death, when you are preparing yourself to die, and then all of a sudden, you have to change that perception and change that thought process to living. It—it's a—you—you. You, I've been exposed to things that you know that people are, that surround me take for granted. Oh, you know, we're every invincible, day. right? Yeah, every day people say we're invincible. Every day I wake up, and I know somebody's not going to wake up, and I know that person could be me today, tomorrow, next moment in an hour and i live with that reality that once caused panic attacks anxiety fear and i had to work through that and i have to i have to be okay with living with a knowledge that the majority of people don't live with mm. and that's my own
0: mortality that's so interesting
1: and i had it's taken many years to be able to build, um,
0: compassion,
1: Mm. (laughs) um, to build a tolerance for, for people who just think their life is ending and this, you know, the gossip here, the drama here. And, you know, as a program manager, as a manager, I mean, that's my job is to deal with those things. So it took, that's, it took a lot of maturity on my end. It took a lot of, just a lot of counseling of okay well how do i have compassion for people when they really have no clue Mm. what life is about how do i relate and um that was that's been a, a that has been an ongoing struggle and it may get easier probably as i get older and i get further away from the the transplant but i'd still catch myself with i have to tell myself lydia they are not you Understand, they have not seen the world through your eyes. Have not walked in but your
0: shoes. They are doing the best that they know right now.
1: Under, you know, empathy. Um, put take yourself out of your eyes. Put your put it in theirs. Put put yourself in them. And that has really helped me. Um, empathize with people and, um, make what they feel important is important. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that probably in the last, you know, two to three years, I've, I've been able to really get good at that. Um, but still having to keep myself in check.
0: Once sure. In a while. Well, yeah. So would you say that's a superpower you gained from HSCT or something else?
1: I would say, absolutely. Um, that's something I gained. I also, another superpower would be believing in myself. And I think that can be a cliche statement. Oh, believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself. But when you, if you were to sit, sit back quietly, think, do I believe in myself? Think about certain circumstances and really, really, um, digest a belief in yourself. I I think that that would be a a superpower that I have. Um, I can admit fear of situations. I can admit, oh, this is really, this sucks to have to go through. But in the core being of me that I didn't have before this was I will be okay.
0: Mm. That's so important, right? It's such an important outlook in life to carry forward.
1: It's yeah. Wisdom. Um, so much wisdom. I think we gained so much wisdom from, from facing, um, just facing health battles. I do think you learn what's important. I, I think, you know, one thing I'm grateful for, I don't have to prioritize <laughs> importance in my life. It's done for me. Mm. You know, it's, um, think back. I mean, I love that having the Facebook page. I love the encouragement, you know, that I see, um, on that page, you know, it still helps me feel part of the community, um, that I can encourage people that I can celebrate them. Hey, it's your birthday, you know, amazing. Sure. Um, you know, and then when you reached out to me to the podcast, I was like, Oh, wow.
0: I've never talked about about it. it." Yeah. (laughs) I'm so glad you did. Well, I, I so appreciate
1: the opportunity.
0: Uh, I mean, it's not easy to be vulnerable and share your story, right? And as you mentioned, like you had such a, an identification with a certain persona for so long and now on the other side of it, just trying to build up that reputation, right? In career and capacity and knowing that you know what you're doing and that you are intelligent and that you are capable and that you can survive, Mm -hmm. right? That, you do you want to build up confidence in that without having to revisit the desperation and the depression and the
1: yeah and and it's like i said you know it's learning not to hide it but to to live in a world um and i think that's cause I, i'm not surrounded with anybody um my my everyday people around me have no idea unless i tell them what right. i've been through yeah yeah But I also walk into doctor's offices and they're, they're dumbfounded. They don't know what to do with you. I bet. They say you, but you don't present yourself what you are on paper. But I go in and I'm not glossing it over and saying it's easy. I'm like, you know what? I, I can do this.
0: And I'm just curious (laughs) though. Like, what are you grateful for about HSCT that has gone unspoken?
1: Um, what am I grateful for? Um, I don't want to sound cliche, um, but, you know, I'm grateful for Dr. Burt and his team for taking the risk.
0: Mm.
1: Now that I understand research and I know clinical research, right. I'm an expert in it, and I look back at everything he had to jump through yeah. just for me, mm. he poured his life into, you know, even if he saved one patient, it was worth it. But look at what one individually selfly did. And I don't think I have to, you know, I think a lot of us feel that way who, who were treated in that program, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm from the, the, the origins of it to when it was so incredibly scary, he was putting his career on the line, you know, in some regards. Now I look at it and I'm like, well, yeah, any wrong step, like these were, these were extremely sensitive protocols and he took that chance for me and i would say that you know i think that the community that it has created um you know if you want to if you want to look kind of more existentially at it i look at all of the relationships that i've built i look at the people that i've gotten to meet i look at how we have all been able to affect each other's lives in Mm. one way or another I see people reaching out who are in Chicago um, saying, hey, I'm here. Is anybody here? Yeah. Is anybody else here? Can I visit you? Let's meet up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we live in a very cruel and hard world, especially, you know, when we've gone through the vulnerabilities that we've gone through. And then to be in a safe community where people are just saying, you know, we may be different. We may view politics different. But guess what? I still care about you. Right. And I still I'm here to, up, I'm here to support you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to help the loneliness not be
0: so lonely. Mm, that's a beautiful family we're part of, isn't it?
1: You know, making lemons out of lemonade. I think I've heard multiple people say that, you know, on the podcast. I'm living my best life. Oh, that's and so you know wonderful. what? I'm, I've given, I've been given 18 more years so far. That's pretty amazing. And if, you know, I'm not going to push too hard. I like to sleep. When I get tired, I don't. I like to sleep. You know, when my, my limits are pushed, I take breaks. But I keep pushing my limits. And to me, that's, that's the life I live. If I can do this, if I can get through what I've gotten through, you can most definitely get through what you've gotten through.
0: Thank you for inspiring others. Those are the moments that I thrive on. Those are the moments that I just set a tear,
1: you know, like, gosh, you know, this is what we're here on this earth to do. You know, I would just, I'd like, I'd love it if everybody would do this to each, for each other, right? instead of, you know, competing, let's build each other up.
0: Mm. So. It's a beautiful mission. Thank you. Thank you so much for participating in the podcast and sharing all uh, of your wisdom and goodness with us.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening all this time. <laughs> and yeah, just listening. I like I said, it's, you know, <laughs> this is the the kind of the debut. I just haven't talked about it. So I'm so
0: excited to share it. Thank you for trusting me with your story and trusting our <laughs> listeners with your story. It's an empowering and inspiring story to share. Well, again,
1: thank you for the opportunity. Um, you, what you're doing, what you're doing, is giving a platform for people to, to talk,
0: yeah. which just have a voice. about, yeah,
1: talk about, you know, empowering and you know, just making a difference. But, you know, what you've launched here is phenomenal, baby.
0: Be sure to visit Podcast.com, where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources of the HRCT Warriors Incorporated Nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius, Billy Aled Souser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud itunes stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts it's been so great to connect with warriors worldwide and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease take a moment to connect with us on instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening in the meantime we hope you'll tune in next wednesday for another episode highlighting another hsct warrior until then Be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. John Stansberry-Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained in the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.